You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Welcome to a social justice podcast brought to you by The Flag Shop. I'm your host, Nicholas Sperling, and this podcast is focused on social justice issues. We're going to be taking a deep dive into a series of social justice issues And we're going to be going through them in the order that's presented in a social justice coloring book, which is another project that I'm working on with The Flag Shop. Today, I have two very special guests with me. One of our guests today goes by Title System, and they live with DID, or Dissociative Identity Disorder. And they are someone who I've actually known since high school, We went to high school together. We recently reconnected, or I guess not that recently. We reconnected at Prince George Pride in 2014. Yeah. But why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? We're a system of 10, um, diagnosed about three, four months ago officially, but kind of been in awareness of it for uh, since I was very young. Just kind of constantly hearing just different tones and voices in my head and be like, all right, something's not fully right there, but kind of just went with the flow. Thank you for joining us. I mean, we'll, we'll get to talking a lot more about your experience as we move along here. Our other guest today is Kelsey Hardcastle. And Kelsey is someone who I've also known since high school. We actually met in uh, 2008. We went to different high schools and we've been very good friends ever since. Kelsey is a, let me look this up so I get your title right. You are a child and youth care worker. Yes. And you're someone who's managed depression, anxiety, OCD. So you also have experience with your own mental health struggles. I'm really excited to have you both here and to kick off a social justice podcast. Thanks for having us. So my first question is going to be for title system. And I'm interested to know, How does DID present itself and why? When I started noticing it, or my family members or close friends started noticing it, it was memory loss. It was periods of time where I'd be in one certain mood and just like enjoying the day. Then all of a sudden, a loud siren or something goes off in the background and it's just like I go quiet suddenly or for like a lengthy period of time and then it's just back to how I was before it's like I can go through an entire work day and be like I felt like five minutes you know what what did I miss but it's like I actually was the one to go through it right and so what was your sort of earliest experience with DID, is that something that uh, came on quite suddenly or did it sort of um, develop it, over the years? It, for us, it, it was really sudden, but we took it at a very slow way of trying to understand what was going on. It was, I think it was the earliest memory that I think of it was like I was six or seven and I just remember we were on a road trip and it's just like I blacked out for four hours of a long road trip into Saskatchewan and like through Alberta and it's like don't really remember that journey but it's like any of the conversations we had my parents asked me what I was excited for it just and then it was like I always kind of took things with 
going with the flow. It was like, you know, don't need to ask all the questions right now. Just yeah. it's tackle it as it's happening and then just, you know, ask questions later. So there's a lot of sort of confusion around what was going on. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you sort of discovered, I guess, over the more recent years because you've, you've had that diagnosis quite we, recently. We started asking questions about two and a half years ago. Okay. So it's quite, quite a recent journey that, that you've been on as far as like getting the diagnosis and, and figuring out what that means. Yeah. And I think for the audience, it would be good to go over like, what is a system? A system is a bunch of personalities and are what we call alters that are the body experiences so much trauma or stress around a repetitive serious situation to the way that the brain as a youngling develops instead of being able to take all of it it breaks and it separates and little parts just get cast off to the side. But when that happens, there's amnesic barriers that are formed between each of the parts that split off to protect the young brain from what has actually happened to it. We're all our own person. We're all our own like likes, dislikes, tastes, genders. It just, it's, but our goal and the reason that we're here is to prevent the original trauma holder from experiencing the trauma that happened to them. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a trauma response that typically happens in, in children. Is that right? Most. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it can't develop later on in life. It's like a specific age range. I'm not the unfortunate alter that knows that information in detail, but I think it's between the ages of like five to nine or eight. How do you discover that you actually have the ID? Because there's sort of a, a question around whether it's real maybe or, or whether what you're experiencing this, is what you're reading this about. This is something that our system as a whole kind of experience where it was like, all right, we are hearing these different voices. We are hearing these different personalities. But, I mean, back then, there wasn't really a whole lot of research being done in the, the realm of DID and or multiple personality disorder. It's actually rather uncommon to actually being able to get an official diagnosis because it just it gets slotted into bipolar disorder quite a bit or because of the random emotion swings or like the mood swings. The big signs of it are just people telling you, you know, like you suddenly just shifted in like your nature and like how you're handling the situation or it's like you don't remember any of this time between this, let's say full day. So this day to this day and you're like, nope. And it's like, Nothing. And it's like, I don't remember absolutely any of it. We originally brought it up to a counselor, uh, which is nice to actually have one in training with us. She's like, it sounds like BPD, but it's, it could also be this. Let's get you, you know, connected to a, 
a psychiatrist, so she got us in contact with a doctor where we live, and it's just a lot of chatting, a lot of sessions, a lot of digging, a lot of opening up, because like even after our first two appointments, where we were getting overexcited, and we were like, so what is it? And he's like, I'm not in any knowledgeable position to be like, it is DID yet. But from what you have vocalized to us and the way that it sounds, it strongly leads me to believing that it is. But I cannot officially, yeah. you know, state at this point. So, yeah, basically from the get-go, it was just more or less leading to, in that direction. Right. And I, I definitely can relate to the piece around thinking that one thing is a different diagnosis because I was also diagnosed as uh, having bipolar disorder because I have ADHD and it sort of, I I understand that sort of overlap. So when it comes to terminology, um, do you want to explain why it is that we say DID or dissociative identity disorder now, as opposed to multiple personality disorder, which was a term that was previously used? It's just, I think it's more, like, I don't want to speak wrong here. And I know a lot of people on social media will probably start blasting, but it just, I use it as a term, uh, DID, as a broad term. It's, it's a little bit more of a covering term because you're not just saying it's one disorder because DID is more commonly with very strong amnesic barriers between each each of us, but in that same realm, uh, otherwise specified dissociative disorder, there's less amnesic barriers and the alters can actually communicate a little bit more clearly between each other. And there's a little bit more awareness of what's going on throughout, you know, their days or their weeks. So it just, it's one of the newer terms. For sure, I'd say that's kind of came out over the last six years, uh, from what I know. And I think it's just more of a open term. It's a little bit more of a, you know, disorder. Right. And they're trying to, I guess, focus on the dissociation aspect of it, which was not really mentioned yeah. previously. I have a question, if I can. Please yeah, do, yeah, yeah, If please. you don't mind. Yeah, interject whenever. Um, when, do you think, like, just in your opinion, do you think that it wasn't really talked about or researched much because other things were being diagnosed and they were degree. Yeah. Yes. Um, mental health and what my system has kind of gone through in the realm of, especially in the North where we live, um, where in my area where we actually live, there's one psychiatrist that's actually able to officially diagnose in basically the entire region that that we live in and like my appointments or like our system's appointments are sometimes three months apart because so many people are trying to get to the site to figure out what's going on so that that answers your your question yeah Mm, yeah, that was a great question the only like the most current research that's been started into DID started last year in London. And it's just like, that's it. The, the, the only other research that's 
been done into it that I was told was like 20 years ago wow. and by some doctors that were looking into it. But no one has really looked into it heavily since then. Getting into sort of how DID impacts your own life, I'm curious, do you have any control over when switches between alters are happening? In certain situations, because like a few of my alters, they can take bodily injury a lot tougher than, or like a lot more than some of the others of us that can. So it's like, if we know we're sliding down an icy road and we know that we're going to run into something, we can yank kind of someone into position to, you know, go through that. But for us, it's just, it is kind of random. It is much more of a, just who, who wakes up and it, some days we wake up and it's like, no one's really here. It's just a lot of derealization and a lot of just kind of zombieing it throughout the day. Wow. Fast we hard. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, friends will text us and be like, who we're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone's guess. Yeah. Someone. Well, I know we've had this conversation a few times where I'll say, okay, who am I speaking with now? And you know, I think it was actually like even a day or two ago where it was like we woke up and it was like, who's out? Your, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Well, even driving here, you had multiple people fronting at one point because you were all kind of trying to experience the, the drive, I think, right? That was fun. <laughs> anyway another question I'm, I'm trying to go through some of the questions that I think people from the audience are going to wonder about so a lot of them are I guess common questions that maybe you've had before but uh, hopefully I'm not going to bore you by asking you the same old questions and you feel free to chime in if you have input that you want to provide beyond the questions that I'm asking but um, one of the big questions seems to be how many altars can someone with DID have like, is there a limit to how many alters a person might be able to have? I did hear the question. Just mm. mm -hmm. <sighs> Crying, so it must be one. I think it's kids. You, have you switched? Yes. Okay. What was your question? I have context of what we were doing today. Yes, absolutely. Um, did you want to, like, do you no. have any other questions? You just want me to go straight just into it? We'll continue with the way. Okay, sounds good. So the, the question is around how many alters uh, a person with the ID might have. Like, is there a limit to the number? As a system is considered to be a system at two. Mm -hmm. Um, I've chatted personally to some people that are a hyperfractured system, which is at least over a hundred. Wow. wow. And there, I think the most that I think it was one of our others, Troy was talking to was, uh, 227. And it's just like, we can't, we're being, us being 11, I can't imagine even what that would be like. So you currently have 11 altars. Yes. Um, but that's, that hasn't always been the case.
case, right? No. It kind of, uh, you lose alters and you gain alters? Some integrate. Okay. That hasn't happened to us too often, but... So that would mean like two alters that join together? Two parts of alters come together to form a new alter. Oh. They don't die. They don't really cease existence. They just literally, like kind of mitosis, but reverse. They just become one collective alter. Wow. That's an incredible process. I feel like you could really dig into as well. (laughs) Um, I'm going to move on to our next question, though, uh, which is, so this is this is one that we, we talked about yesterday and that's been quite interesting to me is that there's so many possible differences between the alters. Like you can have non-human alters, you mm-hmm. can have different genders, you can have different ages, and you had also mentioned that you can have age sliding alters. Yes. So can you just explain a little bit about like what that looks like and, and what it feels like to to alternate between ages, genders? You know, it- I can't really speak on it too much because just I've only been in the system for like just probably around a year. Okay. But um, alters can literally be pretty much anything. I we, we know a system that has an alter that's a tree. We have alters that friends have, alters of foxes, vampires, yeah. just – Summer dragons, it's, it can literally be whatever the brain kind of creates at the moment. Wow. So as a trans person, I kind of understand what it's like to feel like I'm in the wrong body. Right. Is that an experience that you would have if your alter doesn't match with the, the body? The depersonalization and derealization can be interesting experiences. Um, we have two females. Uh, Zaku and Anxiety. I've only, I haven't met Anxiety yet. We're, I've just heard her in passing. And um, strangely enough, one merman. And yeah, but so he's our only non, non-human that I've seen. And when you say that you've met in passing, you're referring to in the inner world? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe explain for the audience what the inner world looks like? Well... Not every system has an inner world. Um, It takes quite a few practices to actually be able to separate enough to where you can kind of hold a collective space for the alters that want to meet each other to actually meet. And, um, but ours is an island and we call it black sands because it has black sand. Mm Um, but it's just it's like our in, our safe place where so that we can usually at night most often at night where we just kind of try to message each other or leave knowledge for the other alters that are coming in for the next day and but it's like there's no danger like there's no possibility of like usually any harm coming to alters in the safe place in the inner world. It's just our, it's like a subspace really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. fascinating. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. very fascinating. It's fun. Because you have that sort of like inside space, that's right. a safe space for all the alters. 
Do they all know of each other's existence? No. Okay. Do you just, um, how, how do you know a new altar has entered? If you haven't, like, you know, met them? I'm if just it, curious. If a new altar was to split off, I mean, I know the body's age is 31. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely working through kind of the, the situations that created us. Right. So the splitting off has definitely slowed down over the last few years. I mean, the only one recently was our, the persons that caused this were around a lot. And it was just like, okay, now, um, but we noticed because we actually have an app on uh, like a couple of our devices yeah, where it is like we have all of our names down and we can kind of clock in and out of who's been in control of the body. Yeah. And we just saw no one is in control of the body between six in the morning and 10 in 10 in the morning. And it's like, it's not a normal system trait. Right. Okay. So like we all agreed that we'd fill it out. Who is this? Oh, I see. Right. Or like, what is this? Mm -hmm. So it's just being, it sucks because I wanted to say being aware, but you can't always be aware. So. And that makes sense. Just having supportive friends as Mm -hmm. well that just come into or like you, you trust them with the knowledge that you're a system. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we met someone new and it's like, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I also was curious. I'm sorry. sorry I have another question. This is but, what we do. Um, when you like shift to a different altar and it's one that presents as female, like you right. said, um, when you look at yourself in the mirror, is there any kind of disconnect for oh, you? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, feeling body parts that they have that we don't. Right. Or just facial hair yeah. that they don't. Yeah. It can be – there's times where I've seen us just being co-conscious, being like it's about 30 minutes. They've just been kind of staring at themselves in the mirror. It's yeah. like – Sometimes we have to boot them out and just be like, all right, let's get this body going. But it's like, I mean, you may have a question about this later, but like if I was to yank someone or like switch with someone, imagine being in control of a vehicle and then all of a sudden someone yanks you out of the driver's seat and just takes over. Yeah. Or watching a movie – this is actually from one of the other YouTubers that has the disorder as well. She just they yeah. referenced is um, watching a movie, but someone else has the remote, oh, and wow. it's just like just randomly switches out on the buttons and volume. And those are good examples. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you for sharing Helpful. that. Yeah. So this is one that I I had no idea of until you'd mentioned it yesterday, and it's that. Multiple personality disorder, or what we know now as DID, it used to be a strong defense in court. Yeah. Or uh, not necessarily a strong defense, but a valid defense yeah. in court. And you were saying that sometime in the last maybe seven years or so that had changed. I think it just, it, Troy is the one that knows this okay. in our system, like in detail, but I think it was a little bit longer than seven years ago, but it okay. was like, it, it, it could be used in court. Until a certain point. 
Right. So now you can't use that in court as a... As far as I am aware. Recognizing that DID is a mental health issue in and of itself, is it possible for alters to have their own independent mental health issues that they struggle with? This is another really good question for Troy, our gatekeeper. Um, But I think I do have enough knowledge to where I can actually answer this is um, I'm going to say, again, for those that are going to blast us on social media. But Well, I hope no one does that. Yeah. Oh, anything anyone posts on social media now, they'll probably get blasted. But anyway. Well, just just to, to kind of preface this whole thing is I didn't bring you here to be an expert on DID. I brought you here to share your Cheers. own personal experience. Fair enough. So what I'm hoping the audience will understand is that you're speaking about your own personal experiences. Right. You're not trying to represent other people who have the idea. Right. So, um, sorry, your question. Yes. So it's, can alters have their own independent mental health issues that they struggle with? From what I personally know is if I, like, I haven't got mine diagnosed yet, but mm-hmm. it's just if I even honestly have it, but... If our trauma holder, as in our little, actually has autism, we all do because we're all in the same brain. We're all in the same body, but some alters can show absolutely no signs of it. Some alters can be a little bit more with, like showing symptoms of it mm-hmm. or like classical symptoms of yeah. it because... I know for I've actually met him, Calder. It he likes his driving the exact same way to work every day. He likes. Um, I think you actually experienced some of this at the lights last night while driving around with him. Is just the roads were all blocked and the light was turning green. Green for him means go. He wasn't able to go, and within four or five minutes, he was getting. Very frustrated. Very frustrated with that. So, but Troy wouldn't be Mm. like that or like Aiko wouldn't be like that. So, yes, we can show stronger, lesser signs of it. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess that's something that there's, there needs to be a lot of research still done around because there hasn't been enough into DID in general, right? It actually upsets me that just like how little is still known about it Mm -hmm. i also like i'm gonna interject here i feel like it's super stigmatized or held in only as represented in only a certain way in media like movies or things like that i feel like it's represented not how it should be um and that can maybe lead to people thinking they know more about it than they do there there Mm -hmm. was a system i'm again i i like to watch the social medias i like to watch for sure so I do want to be personally be careful with my words because they may potentially see this. But so without him naming names, just a system came on about the Moon Knight that mm-hmm. Disney Plus just released oh, yeah. recently. Okay. I've been watching and, that. Mm-hmm. While it does show a character with DID, is it an accurate representation of what the disorder is? It will never be. Mm-hmm. If you have a paid actor that doesn't actually experience the disorder for what it is and how it actually can affect people, 
Hollywood's always going to blur the line. It's always going to blow it way out of proportion. So it's just to be, again, mindful of just like, you know, this is a representation of it, but it's not 100% accurate to what it is actually like. That's the best. That's an amazing answer. Like it totally, it's makes perfect sense. And you're right that, but they can never really, I guess, accurately depict it unless it's someone living with it. Right. But like, there's been some good attempts at it. Yeah. Um, Moon Knight. Yeah. uh, Personally, just in the reflection, actually being able to see another altar in a reflection, actually, you know, hold a conversation. Um, Doom Patrol, Crazy Jane, 64 different personalities, but they really showcased an inner world as in the underground really, really, really well. But it's like not a full picture. It's not a full realistic example. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Well, I have a bit of a follow-up question in that case because the phone, what the heck were we just talking about? I know the feeling. You know, like representation of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Maybe I haven't talked about my mental health problems. But anyway. um, (laughs) So my follow-up question then is, what were we talking about? You have to be kidding me. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) Nicola. DID representation representation in multimedia. I'm sorry, this hits a little too close to home right now. Okay. okay. I thought you were pulling my no, chain, no, I, but okay. Okay, represent, I, I, I just got to hold on to this. You got it. You got it. You got okay, it. so my follow-up question when it comes to representation is, there's a lot of talk these days about how if you have a, let's say, a trans person in a movie, it should be played by a trans person. Or right. if you have a person in a wheelchair in a movie, it should be played by a person who isn't in a wheelchair, for right. instance, right? Um, the concept of having the representation for marginalized groups be on screen. And I, it kind of started, I think, with uh, blackface, probably, in terms of um, realizing that's not appropriate and, and something needs to change. And then other groups have gone, well, we don't want to be represented this way on screen either. Do you find that that's the case with DID? Like, in, in that instance that you're referring to, do you think that that part should have been played by someone who actually has DID? Personally, yes. I know a lot of my alters will disagree with me on that, but um, because whoever it is, even if they, like, if they are on TikTok or they are on YouTube or any real social media platform, I'm going to shift topics a little bit. Like my partner or our systems partner, she's a singlet personality, but she tries to help educate people about the disorder from just what she is learning on her own and the questions that she's asking. If I'm ever present with her, she'll like tell the people around be like, Hey, he's just, you know, this is happening. This is, Give him a minute. She's already done it once when we've actually been with her. Mm-hmm. To get the most genuine knowledge, yes, I do personally think, you know, it, it should be the way that it's handled. Yeah. This is the way. This is the way. We got it. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Okay. That's awesome that she's so supportive. Yeah. And so willing to also, like you said, go with the flow, kind of how you do, and mm-hmm. just experience it as you are experiencing it. Yeah, and I, I actually see, saw one of your questions that, um, is it challenging to have relationships? I'm sorry, I'm going no, to No, I was about right to, I was to ask you that just exact question. Go for so, it. so we met this lovely person. She goes by she, they pronouns, but um, through distance, through an app that we, we met on and started chatting to. And when it came to like that, which actually strangely happened really quickly for us, like we immediately jumped on the trust train with her and yeah. started telling her about it, where she's really taken her time. She is really asked like a lot of the questions that just immediately came to her head. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm not by our phone, it's just, I'll turn it on. And there's a whole bunch of questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be because just some of us have different sexual sexualities. Some of us have different genders and it was actually our most recent alter that came out was due to, the, again, the situation that created him being around trust. And so she already met all 10 of us and they seemed to be having a really good time and just the time that they got to share with one another. But when I'm reading from a memory book, cause I wasn't there during this, but trust came to the front was like, I want absolutely nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, he was completely detached, completely individual, mm-hmm. just didn't like any of the other altars that he did get to meet, didn't want to vibe with anyone. And she was like, and that's fair. It's like, we don't have to be boyfriend and girlfriend. We don't have to be this. Just you are there. And it's just like, we have a strong feeling that he is slowly coming around, but he didn't trust our psych. He didn't trust any of our family members. He didn't trust any of our friend group. And so some alters can definitely be a lot stir- stiffer and just like, I don't want this relationship. I don't like mm-hmm. you guys do you. Some alters can even be polyamorous where they can be, married to someone and go out for a night on the town quite literally and Mm. come home. It's like person that was there before is like, I don't have any memory of what happened. happened. I don't know if I kissed anyone tonight. It's like, Mm -hmm. so it can cause a lot of friction sometimes, but communication is definitely like the thing that got us through. Cause when we actually started meeting each other, it was just like, what do you want to ask? What or like, what are your needs? What do you right. need? So we we really lucked out with our partner. Yeah. So, but it's not always not that easy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. <laughs> I guess recognizing that DID can be quite a struggle at times. Is it possible to take medication to help with that? There are psych 
personally got us on Searchly, right, uh, right, right, basically off of the bat. But um, it seemed to actually cause a lot more rapid switching in oh. the brain because we were not medicated before. And he even did, like, he didn't warn us, but he's like, just be advised, you know, like, this can hit different people in different ways. So just take it slow at the beginning. Yeah. But, I mean, there was one night we had 32 switches in an eight-hour time frame. And it's just like, as soon as we stop taking it, because he advised us, you know, if it doesn't help, you know, stop taking it. Mm-hmm we leveled right back into our normal routine. But medications affect everyone differently. So for us, it just didn't seem to be the process that we needed to to go through. Yeah, and I'm actually really surprised to hear that uh, you were put on medication at all. A calming medication causes rapid switching for our system. Wow. And in my research that I did uh, trying to figure out what to ask you, it, it seemed like um, there was no medication for DID. So it's interesting that you're saying that you were put on a medication to try to help with that. Um, is, is that what the medication is intended for? Or is it sort of... Uh, is it, it was... A, I wasn't there during this appointment, mm-hmm. but I think it was in the realm of one, also helping with our anxiety. Okay. And, but it just, it kind of works. I can never remember the name of it, but for, it's like a medication for those with ADHD or AD, oh. ADD. It's just, it, it, it calms the nerves. It like slows, you know, like the, the, I guess, energetic pulses in the brain. Okay. So this is just kind of a, a lighthearted one, yeah. but do your alters have different fashion styles or accents? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, like for our females alter that's out the most Zaku, mm-hmm. um, we noticed that she was definitely wearing, you know, looser clothing, more bayier clothing. And it was like, let's set a hundred dollars aside and let her shop for herself and just get whatever, you know, she wants to be comfortable with or like comfortable in. And she did. She Brought back the change and everything is like her outfit in in one of our drawers marked Zaku, and um, but yeah, oh, like being that we're mostly male, we we do just kind of all dress moderately the same. Our tone of voice doesn't really change. I mean, it gets I, softer. I find with Zaku, yeah, right, yeah. So again, feminine alter, feminine voice, but um. It's like having non-human alters, let's say, you know, a tree or merman, for example. We actually had to teach Iko how to speak English when he was like learning the front and like how to be in control of the body. But he still speaks as someone that like just very broken English doesn't speak like clear, fluid sentences. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've remembered having conversations where uh, I've had to explain what words meant when I was yeah. speaking with Ico. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to be rather interested by that. Did you like, have some questions? That's so interesting. Like, does that I don't generate really, anything for you? I don't 
I can't think of really another question. I just think that's like, like it's, it's so I've interesting. I've heard Aiko speak, yeah, but it's like I cannot imitate how he yeah. speaks because it's just I do speak yeah. fluently English, but it's like I even trying to if I was trying to pass off as him, yeah, I would have a very difficult time. Con- Continuously coming up with just the way that he would speak or like the mannerisms that right. he has. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Wow. I just, that's so interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing everything. <laughs> I'm learning so much. Is, is it that particular altar? Like if you are making a, a sound, is it that particular altar that it, the usually sound's coming it's from? Just, it's either when the system's very blendy with one okay. another. Okay. Yeah. Or it's just they're letting me know or like the others around. It's like, hey, I'm Kokon. Like, I'm still yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Does your family know about your DID diagnosis and are no. they supportive? They don't know. No. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, 98% of the time where we are ma- around immediate family members, we are masking continuously. That seems like it would be a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's an experience. Mm-hmm. That has to be hard. Like, I, I don't want to bring up too much emotion or anything, but like, uh, is it um, a fear of judgment from your family that you're worrying to share with them? I don't or? honestly know a whole lot about his family members, honestly, because mm-hmm. I am only technically a year and a half old. Right. But um, we go for family dinners. That usually, like, we try to set a mental timer in mm-hmm. our head. Just, you know, let's hang around for two, three hours and just put in our effort and get through this. Mm-hmm. But if it just goes longer or we decide to go for, like, an adventure or a hike or something like that. Yeah. I think the last time that happened and we got home, we went mute for, like, two days just processing yeah. all that. That, that kind of came from being around them for so long. Wow. All right. Well, let's move on to something that's a little bit less heavy then. Um, do all of your altars get along with each other? You've kind of touched on the fact oh, that they don't. But <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that experience like? I know I'm referencing m- medias again, but there was a system on TikTok that just, I showed all my friends this or like all of our friends is like, Wow. It's like you guys are all friends or like you have built-in friends. Who said we're friends? It's like we didn't choose to become like a system. It wasn't like our decision to get along with each other. We're all kind of just there. But um, no, not for our system, not everyone gets along. You're sort of forced to be stuck with these people. Right. And it almost seems like maybe you would be forced to figure out how to get along as opposed to like. We kind of had to sort that out ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like 13, which is, I'm not going to trigger warning words. I want to be careful, but he's our troublemaker. He is our um, one that causes the most harm. Um. Doesn't really have a friend on the island. He just, like, if they pass by each other, they'll just kind of stare each other down. Mm-hmm. But it's like, and when we, we try to meet nightly of just, like, whoever, like, 
was out, you know, they'll meet and be like, this is what kind of occurred as best as we can. But 13 rarely shows up to any of them. Okay. And it's just like, that's nice. I mean, even trust, he's, he's showing up more than 13 is. I mean, judging by our app. Right. So, um, not all of us get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, he keeps making that sound. I know he's Kogan, but he's like, I am not going to speak in that horrible English on a professional <laughs> podcast. Just, what, what, what are you hoping that the people who are listening or watching us are going to learn from you? Most days for a DID system can be good. Most days can be just the normal routine. Some days can be the normal kind of switching processes between each other. But it is, at the end of the day, still a disorder. And when it comes to disorders, not every day is a really... And now I'm crying, but like not every day is a good day because like... We were having a really good week and we were making a lot of just progress with like what we were going through. And we missed two days and ended up at the psych ward at the hospital. And it's just like, just I guess it's just kind of referring back to just give them their time. Some days it's just, even if the altar doesn't necessarily like you right off the bat, mm-hmm. it's just... We are all dealing with it the way that we can. Yeah. And it's like, it just, you, we cannot forget that it, it is a mental health struggle. Yeah. And so personally for me is like, if the main altar that you're normally chatting to is just not having a good day and they switch out, it is not something that you did to offend them. It is just that they are having a really bad day and they just need time off the front because we've had that too, where we're chatting with a romantic partner or we're chatting with someone that we were a good friend that we're getting to know. And then just, they'll see on the Facebook, like the messenger, the nickname will change. And he's like, what did I say? He's like, nothing. They just got triggered by sirens going down the hut the highway that we live near or like, you know, someone just randomly switched out. It's like, it most likely wasn't actually you that caused the switch. This, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so, so kind of trying to understand rather than getting maybe uh, d- defensive yeah. or... Because well, in other situations too, like our, our romantic partners that we've had, our host has sometimes disappeared for two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're all starting to kind of becoming, like, as a system, worried about you know, where they went. Alters cannot be killed. Alters cannot die. So it's just like, while they are gone, they are still within the system. They've just gone dormant or they just need right. time to rest and recuperate. Again, just that time to be like, you know, when they come out, can you let them know I really want to see them again or like really want to chat to them again? Mm-hmm. So it's just being more aware, just being a little bit more observant to you know what they're going through. Right. Mm-hmm. 
That's a yeah. good takeaway. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank mm-hmm. you. Cheers. So I'm both literally and figuratively going to switch directions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kelsey Hardcastle. I am 31 as well, and I have been living with depression and anxiety and OCD for most of my life. Um, I didn't really find out about the depression so much in terms of like a diagnosis until a few years ago, but, uh, it does run in my family. So I always had some suspicions. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to share sort of my experience and how I manage it. Fantastic. And we're going to be touching on your experience sort of from both the perspective of someone who lives with mental health yeah. issues and some of our own, like I, I haven't really talked about any of my mental health issues right. yet, but I deal with ADHD and as a byproduct of that, I also deal with um, depression, anxiety and uh, OCD and Tourette's mm-hmm. as being, uh, my psychologist doesn't really know whether to categorize those specifically mm-hmm. because I have, um, I guess, traits associated with those specific mental health issues, but it all sort of stems from the ADHDs is yeah. sort of the general understanding that we have. But because we can sort of relate on, on some of these points, yeah. um, I think this will be a little bit more of a, a back and forth maybe. For sure. Whereas I don't know anything about what it's like to live with DID. So I'm really appreciative for your ability to kind of give us some insight into what that's Definitely. like. Definitely. And to give the audience an insight into what that's like as well. Your desire to pursue an education <gasps> in mental health, was that driven by your own mental health struggles? Yes, I think so. Um, I mean, I originally started doing something entirely different in school. And anytime somebody asked me what I wanted to do, because I feel you get asked that a lot, especially when you're starting post-secondary. Mm-hmm. It was, I want to help people. That's what I would say all the time. That's so broad. <laughs> There's so many different ways to help people. But that was like the driving force, I think, behind what I t- decided to change my major to in school and pursue. Um, so I, I definitely think that having my own mental health struggles and being diagnosed sort of, Shortly before I started post-secondary, it was around like 18 or 19 that I was diagnosed with anxiety and OCD. I I wanted to learn everything I could about it just to understand myself more as well as other people. So Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, that's kind of a, a common theme that I hear from people who work in that sort of arena of yeah. mental health is that it's often driven by their own mental health struggles. And I think sure. a lot of times you know, we as, as people who are seeking help will often think that the people who are providing it are, are you know, perfect individuals. They've like, they have life figured <laughs> oh, out somehow. Oh yeah, and that's for sure. Pretty much never the case. I was so guilty <laughs> of thinking that for a long time that like, and doubting myself even in my own like education journey, like how am I going to be able to, provide advice to people or coping strategies when I'm not even there yet myself. Right. So I started to doubt, like, maybe it's not right for me. Maybe I'll take on too much, you know, emotional like tension or take on people's problems too much. And then it'll all get blurry and hard to deal Hmm. with. But it, I just sort of had to push that aside and realize that no, even people that are counseling you or a psychiatrist, like 
you know, title system had said, everybody's experiencing something and you have no idea what. So just because they seem very professional and (laughs) together in the session, it's because it's their job, right? Like they have to, you know, everybody's got something they're dealing with. You kind of touched on this one already, Mm -hmm. but do you find it difficult to maintain your own mental health while you're also trying to help others with their struggles? Because that that has to be kind of heavy at times. Yeah, for sure. So I started really, I would say in 2020, actively working in jobs that even involved really helping other people um, in like tangible ways, I feel. So in 2020, I started working um, for a company that had safe houses around, you know, different cities in the lower mainland. And that was sort of my first experience, like front lines, hands-on helping people. And it was exhausting on like a different level than, you know, I've ever felt before. But I think because um, I was taking a lot of those like emotional interactions, people's stories that they tell you, you know, some people in these cases have lost their children and don't know if they'll ever get them back in their care. Like it was really heavy stuff and it was so difficult. I didn't realize really how much it affected me (laughs) until I was like, I'm tired every single day. It started manifesting in like physical ways as well, I think. And that's when I started realizing I have to, I hate to use, you know, self-care, but like I did, I have to carve out time for myself where I'm not thinking about work I'm not thinking about things that stress me out or conversations I've had that were stressful or difficult um, and just, you know, allow myself to relax, something I really struggle with. But um, and then now I'm working as the child and youth care worker, which, again, this is my first time I've been doing it for like, I want to say six months, (laughs) seven (laughs) months. It's the best job I've ever had, but it is emotionally taxing in a different way. Because you have kids that trust you and are openly sharing with you a lot of traumatic things. And you have to be on eight hours a day. You have to be ready for someone to tell you something traumatic in a joking way. Because I think that's how a lot of people deal with traumatic things can be joke about it. Mm -hmm. Especially I feel younger generations. But um, and you have to just be like prepared to respond right in the moment and not look shocked or sad for them. You know, like you Mm -hmm. have to be that supportive person. And I started realizing as well, coming home from that job, I'm also emotionally exhausted. Um, So I've started doing counseling and I find that doing counseling alongside doing this job is the perfect fit. I I think I've gained a lot of strategies that have helped me sort of keep work emotional things separate from right. so you have home. a counselor kind of who's yeah helps giving you me. some suggestions on how to manage exactly all. yeah so I mean I do see the counselor for obviously other things but I've started talking to them a lot about how the job affects me and they understand because they're a counselor <laughs> so well, like, like there's yeah. this if you're not seeing a counselor it's almost like do as I say not as I do yeah so it like I would hope that my it's, counselor would see the Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, like, I think everyone can learn something from counseling. I know a lot of people will say that as well. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know if I could continue 
to really like do the job and enjoy the time off, like when I'm at home by myself or with friends, I don't know if I'd be able to sort of keep a boundary or a barrier without the help of counseling. Yeah, I imagine that would be very difficult. Yeah, Yeah. like I know this will sound a little strange, but um, like TikTok, (laughs) TikTok is such a helpful tool for me. Uh, whether it's like counselors sharing advice or people that experience the same mental health issues as me sharing advice, anything like that kind of just made me get out of the thoughts you can have sometimes with mental health that are like, I'm the only one experiencing this. I'm the only one experiencing it to this level. It sort of made it feel like, oh, wow, like there's other people living and dealing with the same things I deal with every day and managing them. So there's hope, you know. Yeah. I mean, our system for like while we did chat to our own counselor mm-hmm. at first, just I do agree with you. Actually, yeah. a lot of me agree with you. Yeah. Just seeing those that already are experiencing the, the things that we happen to all be going through, but advocating in such a way on just even a mostly junk funny app of just <laughs> yeah. skits and yeah. that, but there are some heavy topics that come up. I mean, there's a system, not naming names, but 95% of their content is just like, we're not around. This is what we are going through. This mm-hmm. is what has been going on recently. Yeah. And it's like, while we were going through Starting our therapy and getting our psych is just like, okay, this, if this is how it is and we're experiencing it, maybe we aren't actually yeah. overly crazy, right? I, like this is actually yeah. a thing. Yeah. So just to speak on that, like this, I agree. Oh, I, I appreciate it. I think like, I also is a bit off topic, but when I think about like my parents' generation, they both have mental health issues. But like it was not talked about. And so we're actively discouraged from seeing. Exactly. Exactly. So like both I'm lucky that both of my parents um, have sought, you know, counseling for themselves or seek to better understand their mental health issues um, instead of kind of deny them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm lucky that I grew up with parents that do not stigmatize mental health and support ways to try and help with it right but I can only imagine for them how frustrating it must have been in the past Mm -hmm. to not see representation anywhere or have that sense of uh I don't know the right word but like seeing other people experiencing what you're experiencing and that Mm -hmm. kind of giving you a sense of I can handle this I can do this because I know I'm not the only person going through it right I think that comes down to or at least a big shift that I've noticed is around that social media component. And when I'm trying to get through my own mental health struggles, I might share them on social media mm-hmm. as a way of kind of putting it out into the universe and, and um, kind of removing that shame. It's like, well, it's already out there now, so <laughs> exactly. now I can deal with it properly. Or, or it could be seeing someone else on social media talking about their struggles and being able to say, oh, I relate to that because yeah. I didn't realize there was anyone out there that was yeah. experiencing those kinds of things until the internet showed me the whole mm-hmm. world of people that were doing that. And I feel like with you on TikTok, one of the things that 
has struck me, and you can tell me if I'm right or not, mm -hmm. is it seems like it's been really good for like learning how to love yourself and your body. Absolutely. Because I, up until TikTok was created, I don't think I'd ever seen you put out a video talking about body positivity yeah. or about your mental health struggles, but TikTok seems like a a way for you to express that, that yeah. side. I, I mean, I know hate's a strong word, but like I genuinely hated my body and, and myself a lot of the time growing up. And it wasn't until everyone had to quarantine <laughs> for 2020 that I started seeing other women that look like me loving themselves, wearing what they want to wear, you know, not giving a crap about being perceived by other people or how you're being perceived by other people, just living, right? And I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen, even in like shows, movies, representation of like larger women in a positive way, other than just being comedic or funny. Mm -hmm. So it was so helpful to see that there's other people out there that look like me that are living obviously they have struggles as well, but are showing themselves in such a light, positive way that I really realized like, wow, okay, I don't have to hate myself. <laughs> There's no reason I do other than what society's told me about being a larger person. So um, I definitely feel it's helped in that sense. And that's helped my mental health as well, because a large part of my mental health struggles was around you know, like my self-consciousness or self-esteem issues. You actually have some really good content creators, uh, yeah. advocates out there, but there's always that looming shadow of those people that are just not, I guess, opening up to that. For sure. Right? So I think that's a really important point to make, especially yeah. since this thing that we're doing right now is a social justice podcast. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when you're talking about various social justice issues, you'll find that there's this sort of purity component. Like if you're going to be an advocate or you're going to talk about these issues, there's this expectation that you're going to be perfect, that you're going to know every social justice issue, that you're going to know how to handle yeah. every issue. Yeah. And if you don't shut up, go away, we don't want you around, you shouldn't have a voice, rather than recognizing that everyone needs a chance to learn, mm -hmm. everyone makes mistakes, and there has to be the ability for people rather than to be, I don't know that I necessarily believe in cancel culture, but but if that's what you want to call it, that you're not going to cancel someone yeah. over a mistake, that you're yeah. going to give them an opportunity to grow and to learn and become better. Like, I mean, yeah. more or less, our system has seen this around those that are on, happen to be experiencing Tourette's or, or, or have Tourette's, mm -hmm. where there's a couple TikTokers that they show some of their worst days and like just some of the, the bouts that they go through and they're getting comments just like, just that's weird. Or like just you, you need to stop. And then some DIDers that I happen to, or like we watch are like, wow, it would sure be a lot of fun to have this disorder. And it's just like, Oh, I know. You're struggling with it and people mm. are... Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to overtake Kelsey, but no, just like no. that's... No, As a person who actively uses TikTok every day of my life and to help me cope as well, but like, or learn coping strategies, I can't imagine the damage that some people's comments could do 
because it's like, oh, at what point do we not understand that like that comment is going to be read by a real person who was vulnerable enough to put their experience on the internet? Like, what do you, I, I, I mean, can't imagine having to deal with that. I, I know that you've had well, I was your fair say, share. Like, that's, and that's something that I've had to deal with a lot because yeah. um, I've been attacked by a, a lot of well-known transphobic individuals and I won't name names because it's yeah. my job that we're doing right now. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like you either let the comments get to you and they absolutely destroy you mm-hmm. or you learn how to, I don't know if you dissociate or you figure out how to block them out, not look at them, whatever it is, you find a solution so that they're not getting to you. And for me, it was just, it got to the point where there was too many to even read. Like, even if I wanted to read every single hate comment I was getting, there were so many, I couldn't physically do it because it was more than one a second at Mm. at one point. And I like, I don't think anyone should ever have to get to the point where they're getting so much hate that they just, it suddenly, it suddenly becomes meaningless because you lose touch with what that hate actually is, why those people hate you, what it does to your psyche. And it can be extremely damaging. And if you have someone that hasn't built up all of those walls and those defense mechanisms, it can absolutely destroy you. Yeah. I think this is also a little random insert here, but I was having a conversation with a student that I work with and she was looking through her Instagram while in class and she was like, I can't handle looking at this person's Instagram anymore. It's just, they have the body I want. They have the life I want. Like, I just, I can't handle this. And for like the first time, it really clicked into me that like, I didn't, we didn't really have that growing up in high school. I mean, Facebook was like kind of a thing, but the constant comparison for, for youth now and like the constant absorption of social media, like has to be so hard for their own mental health. Yeah. But like, I could only imagine what my own would have been like in the past with something like that. Yeah. Like we had photoshopped magazines and like things that gave you an unrealistic idea of what someone should look like. But social media just kind of brings it to a whole new level because suddenly these are people that are just like you. Yeah. There's, you know, it's not someone on a magazine, a celebrity that's out of reach. It's just an average everyday person who has a platform just like I do. Yeah, exactly. And also (laughs) it's not just an image. It's a life story. Yeah. And the story that you tell on social media can be realistic. It can include the good and the bad, but generally it's only the good. Oh yeah. So when you're comparing yourself to someone, you're comparing your entire life to only the good parts of someone else's life. And it's completely unrealistic. You're never going to find an instance where you'll go, yeah, I feel good about my life because I'm living, you know, just as good of a life as this person who's only showing their <laughs> exactly, good side. Exactly, yeah. So I think it's, it's really important. It's important to remember that. Not just to remember it, but I think what you're doing, what what we're all doing here by doing this podcast is talking about not just the good. Yeah. We're talking about the negative side of things. We're bringing awareness to that and to the fact that it's normal for people to have negatives in their lives yeah so to me when I'm sharing things on social media and I'm sharing something good I always think this this can't just be the image like I need to share something about my mental health struggles I need to share something about 
any struggle really so that people understand that my life is not some image of perfection even yes. if there are some really cool things that have happened in my life that I also want to share yeah I try to do that as well yeah mm-hmm. well I mean from your TikToks well, yeah I can see that I do I never did I think I would share a video of myself crying on the internet but I, it was like therapeutic in a sense right because and uh, it's just routine things too. yeah I love just sharing that like hey I'm a regular person living life and this is what my regular day looks like mm. like like yeah I'm just I'm trying to get myself into the shower like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I did it. Yes, <laughs> exactly <that's awesome. laughs> yeah I like just sharing the realness of it I think mm-hmm. yeah I love that too like um you know maybe it's not getting the views on TikTok yeah but it's like when I come across those I just feel kind of more at peace with who I am because I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one out here struggling. Like, oh, that's awesome. We've got other, like, It's like people. a video journal, I feel, more <laughs> than anything, you know? Like, I feel mm-hmm. it helps me in that sense. It's like sometimes all it takes is I just got to get the thought out of my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I just got to say it aloud and then it helps me to process it. <sighs> Ow. Who's this? I'm not sure. Oh, you guys can start. Okay, we'll give you a moment to find your bearings. So I want to get into some of the specific mental health issues that you struggle with. And I think there's a lot of overlap in my own mental health issues and yours uh, because I have ADHD and that sort of presents itself in many similar ways. Uh, I have depression as a result, anxiety as a result, um, OCD and and, uh, Tourette's tendencies as a result. I want to first touch on depression. Yeah. And I want to get a sense of how you know that you are either sinking into a depression or stuck in a depression as opposed to just being sad. Yeah. Okay. I think it's mostly, um, well, like a big part of it is I'll notice sort of internally, my general interest for things just goes away. I, I can't stay focused on anything. Uh, I'll, you know, start a TV show, stop it like two minutes in because I just can't sit there and stare at the TV. And then mm-hmm. I f- it feels kind of like a general sense of sort of like boredom, emptiness, I guess. Like I just don't have the same interest in communicating with friends, in communicating with family, in talking to anybody, really. Um, But then I also just feel it's sort of like an internal battle in my head. It just sort of feels isolating, I guess. Um, And then also another telltale sign is like my physical environment will start to sort of match the confusion and disarray in in my brain. Uh, Dishes will pile up. I won't vacuum or sweep for a long time or my garbage will need to be taken out for a long time. And um, I just don't feel like I have the energy or even like the motivation to do those things. Uh, It seems like it takes all the energy in the world to do them. Um, And I know that I, I will still get things accomplished in my day, but there's just kind of this, disconnect like you you mask yeah mental block like you you go and do what you have to do and then almost as soon as you're done that you can kind of feel this shift I guess Mm -hmm. um and it it almost feels like all the energy's gone like I've used all my energy trying to appear okay (laughs) and put together for the day as well as also be there for other people sharing their 
struggles with me. I have to appear, you know, sort of together. But then when I, I get home or by myself in the car, I can, I just need like silence. Mm-hmm. So I, a, a lot of the times it's a telltale sign for me if I'm driving and my radio's off. And I realized, wow, I just drove an hour and a half um, with no music, nothing. <laughs> like, it just <clears throat> myself and my own thoughts. And I'm like, wow, okay. Because sometimes I'll try and listen to music and songs that I've loved for 15 years, I just can't. I can't listen to. Mm-hmm. I don't have the same reaction of enjoyment or joy. Um, so I will just sit in silence a lot of the time. But I know that you can kind of relate with the like the household i guess i mean even the the sitting in silence piece because i I will also have that experience where i'm Mm -hmm. driving along and then i realize i haven't been listening to any music for me i think when i'm driving in silence it's usually a sign that i have good mental health though because i find that a lot of times i'm using the music to either mask an emotion or let an emotion out that Whereas if I'm sitting in silence, it means I'm comfortable with my own thoughts. That's actually a good point because I'm normally not comfortable with my own thoughts. Like there's a lot of thoughts going on all the time up there, like constant inner voice of different things. So I that's interesting. Like I think I've always associated it with I must be really depressed. So, but I wonder if it's actually the opposite sometimes if I'm at peace enough and I don't need an external distraction from my inner thoughts. It's it's Mm kind of interesting too, because while there is 11 of me in one, while we do have our own ways of noticing depression, Mm -hmm. our psych has actually noticed a collective singular one thing that can be seen in all of us that actually frequents the most Mm -hmm. loss of interest in building things or like our art for example i believe i was one of us was telling you is like we haven't built a robot in a while Mm -hmm. because we've been going through things so it's like Mm -hmm. while we can have our own like you know singular like personality to just go off and do something that shows that they're depressed yeah. There is still that one common thing that our psych has been like, you all do that, or like wow. that's been seen in all of you. Yeah. Huh. Oh, wow. I know loss of interest can be like so hard to deal with. I, and most times you don't even know. I it's know. It's just like when someone actually points it out, yeah. it's like, our roommate was like, you haven't built a single robot in like three months. Like, yeah. just, you good. It's like, yeah, I, I get that know. with my art as well. Like if it's just my art feels exactly. like work or, or something along those lines, then it no longer is my escape and my ability to cope I, with my It's so interesting that we all, it's all art for us. Yes, like I'm the same. I never thought of myself as an artist, artistic person, but I love like painting, creating jewelry. There's two of your art drawing, pieces on my wall. Like, yeah, and, and oh. that does slide away as well when mm-hmm. I'm not feeling all right. The interest in even art as an outlet isn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't have the same drive to do that. Yeah, it's so interesting how that changes. And I think it does come back to that whole keeping your space clean aspect, too. Like, oh, I yeah. don't have the motivation to do any of that when I'm depressed. Oh, yeah. But this is going to play into my next question, mm-hmm. which is around OCD. Yes. Because one of the things that I struggle with the most is I 
can't stand messy and dirty spaces. Yeah. I absolutely, like, if something looks remotely dirty or I know it hasn't been, like, bleached or something <laughs> like that, I will not touch it. Yeah. So when I'm in my space and it, I've, let's say I've fully cleaned the space, I'll have workstations in my apartment. I'll have my yeah. living room, my couch, and my coffee table. I'll have my bedroom at my desk. I'll have my kitchen at the kitchen counter. And then I'll have my bed. So generally, I'll start out with a completely clean space if I'm lucky, mm-hmm. and I'll start working on the couch and coffee table. But when that gets a little dirty or messy, yeah. then I'll switch to my desk in my bedroom. When that gets a little dirty or messy, I'll switch to the counter in my kitchen, assuming that's clean because I haven't <laughs> right. been cooking and <laughs> right. dirty. And then once all of those spaces are dirty and I basically can't use any of my apartment anymore, mm-hmm. except for my bed, Yeah. then my bed becomes my workspace. And then once that gets messy, it just becomes incredibly overwhelming. Oh, yeah. So I'll either be stuck in bed, totally unable to do anything because I haven't managed to get to the point of getting the motivation to clean, Yeah. or I'll get so frustrated with my space that I'll just go and do a deep clean. Yeah. And COVID's been extremely difficult. For that, because totally. normally what would motivate me, even if I'm not feeling up to it, to get my place cleaned up and kind of restart the cycle yeah. is to have a friend coming over or yes. someone coming over that I go, I'm embarrassed of my space. Absolutely. I need it to be clean because Same. this person's coming over and that's the motivation that I need. But COVID, like I'm working from home, no one's coming over. So it's just an absolute disaster. Yeah. And... That was kind of a long-winded way of getting to my no, question. but yeah. But, but, um, <laughs> it's okay. But, you know, I think it's important that I'm sharing some of my own Absolutely struggles as well. Sure. Because yeah. I, I do want, you know, people who have ADHD who are watching this to kind of, yeah. you know, see themselves represented as well because we all have our own unique struggles and yeah. there's, you know, overlap in certain areas. But how does your OCD present itself? A lot of it is like obsessive thoughts. So, like, when I was first diagnosed with OCD, I had, like, a really awful intrusive thought, and I 100% was under the impression that, like, I'm a horrible person, I've been hiding it for years, how could I have such a horrible thought, you know, and it just would repeat over and over in a loop in my head, right? And I'd never really experienced that before. Especially a thought that's awful, right? So I was like, why is it repeating? What's going on? And then I had talked to my doctor and, and psychiatrist and was diagnosed. And they were like, "It that's sort of a major way that your OCD presents is a certain thought will come into your mind and it'll just repeat. And sometimes uh, my anxiety will join in and be like, let's make this a little more fun and and snowball it and just see what the worst thing that could happen would be. Right. And that's where my mind goes a lot of the time. But so your OCD presents itself almost in in the form of um, anxious, obsessive thoughts, I guess. But also like imagining the worst case scenario and thinking that that's going to become a reality. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I, I, my mom calls it catastrophizing, which I think Mm -hmm. is an actual word for it. So I, you know, I'll find out, oh, you know, it could be like, oh, grandma's sick. And I'll be like, she has COVID, she's going to die. Like, that's 100% where my mind will go, right? And I'm so sorry, I that's a bad example. but too, where I'm just like, this is the worst case scenario. Yeah. For me, it's more like, imagine the worst case scenario to prepare for it. 
rather than like that's going to happen. Through counseling, that's what I've realized I'm doing is I'm just trying to like protect my future self from the worst. Like, because if you can imagine the worst scenario, anything that happens that's not the worst scenario is okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've realized that that's totally what I'm doing. Um, I also, though, my OCD comes out in kind of cleaning, but more like organizational things. Mm -hmm. So I always have my house like in the same way. Um, When I'm in the shower, I do the exact same thing every single time. If I don't do it in the way that I normally do, I feel thrown off Mm -hmm. in sort of an unexplainable way. It just feels like I got to start this over and do it all right again. Right. Like almost perfectionism in that way. But yeah, it's a lot of how I keep things in certain places in my house. I find that so fascinating because when, when it comes to depression, I feel like we can relate a lot, but when it comes to OCD, we both have it. Yeah. And at the same time, it impacts us in very different ways. Yeah. Like, I don't have those intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. I don't think, because yeah. I'm, like, like I said, I, I do imagine the worst, but it's not generally like, oh, crap, that's going to happen. It's yeah. just like, okay, let's just be prepared. For it's sure. kind of more of a pragmatic approach, I think, maybe. Right. But I get the, the counting OCD that I think is probably the one that a lot of people yeah. will think of, right? Where yes. things, and it doesn't, it doesn't apply all the time. Like, I can, I don't, it's not so bad that I can't overcome it most of the time Mm -hmm. but if it comes to something that's more superficial where like maybe it's eating candy right um oh my gosh i will do everything in threes okay so it's like oh you can have you know a candy and if someone's like you can only have one candy like my my anxiety about you know wanting to go against what it is that they want me to do will will override the ocd and so i will just take a single candy but if given the choice, I would take three. Yeah. And if I want to pig out on candy, then I start doing it in series of three. So it'll be three. Okay, now I get another three. Okay, now I get another oh, three. But I couldn't stop in between. Like I couldn't do five. Right. You'd be I like, would have, have to, to do that one more. Six. But even yeah. six makes me a little uncomfortable because it's three times two. Oh, I would not prefer three times nine three. because it's three times three. Interesting. I would prefer the number 33. Yeah. Um, I would prefer 99 to 66. Like, right. Things like that. Okay. Um, that is... That is really so kind of just my brain is freaking sizzle. Right? <laughs> the funny thing is I've done I do that with candy as well though. Like it's weird. I didn't think about this, but I feel like it's also changed over time and like there's things I did when I was a kid that I did not realize were OCD kind of until this conversation. <laughs> Like, I, I, when I was a kid, I've always loved the number 11. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you why. Just absolutely love it. My favorite number. It's the best. Um, but I would, every button that I would push would be 11 times when I was a kid. Oh. In the elevator, push 11 times. At the That's crosswalk, not a small number hit it 11 times. Like no, not at all, right? Like, it would, everything would be in 11, right? Yeah. Which is a big number, but it was specifically for buttons, like pushing buttons a certain number of times with candy too. I would be like, I can't, I can't just eat one. I got to eat them in like an even pair. Like I can't, and I yeah. would do the same thing. I couldn't handle if it was on an odd number and not an even number. Yeah. Like, and I don't think I really realized that was OCD, man, like manifesting. Oh, so yeah. I have a question then for you about yeah. candy. 
Um, I don't know how much of this I'm going to use, but (laughs) I think this is fascinating. Uh, So I have a picture in my bedroom of when I was a kid, and I'm wearing this, like, scuba diver costume, so I've got this big helmet thing on, and I'm sitting at the coffee table, and I'm counting my candy, and I'm recording it all on a sheet of paper. I remember that picture. (laughs) Yeah. So what I was doing is figuring out how many I had of each different type of candy. Yeah. But what you don't see is that after the fact, I ended up taking one of everything and setting it aside and I would eat everything else. So I would basically eat it so that it, I don't even know. Did you still eat them in threes back then? No, but it it was a whole, I mean, yes, I did, but it was also a whole different scenario when it came to Halloween candy. I don't even know how to describe this, but let's say I had uh, five Snickers, four Mars bars, three Twix, uh, Three, um, I don't know, Skittles, and three of Rockets, let's say, right? So I've got, in order to have three of everything, I'd have to eat two Snickers and one Mars bar, and then I would have three of everything else. So I would do that where I would go, you know, I would have one of everything set to one side, yeah. And then I would line everything else up in like rows by candy. Yeah. And then work my Even way down though. so that if I'm picking out, I can pick out on one of a ton of different candies. Right? I see. Yeah. And then That's what would tough. happen is the one of everything I would then organize from my least <laughs> favorite to my most favorite. And then I would work at it that way. Oh. So it's like, and then there's the intermingling of at the same time, I'm wanting to do things in threes. Yeah. So. That like is, it got quite like there's a lot of math involved. There is. <laughs> I love it though. I now I'm thinking about thing other things I do, and there's more. Like I, it's oh man. If I go into a place and they've got like um, business cards at the front, I will make sure they're all the same direction. If I go to a restaurant oh, too, yeah. and the sugar packets are like, you know, like stevia, brown sugar, white sugar, I'm like. I got to make sure they're all lined up like the same, you know, top to bottom, like, or I get a set of markers. I'm putting them in a rainbow. Okay. Like you're not organizing them in any other way, but an actual rainbow. (laughs) Like if I didn't use markers so much, it probably (laughs) was not realistic for me. (laughs) I I organize things in that way too. And like, if I don't, it bugs me. Yeah. Like to my core. I got my CDs organized by in alphabetical order. Same thing with my movies. Yes. My my movies are alphabetical order too. It's it's interesting just hearing your guys' conversation. It's like, our trauma holder is very much like that where yeah. just like he you know he builds in a very specific way yeah he, he goes by number to number but it's so weird because some of our other alters will just sit there watching him in the inner world and like yeah. being coco and be like but why though yeah and just they won't have any effect of that is just they'll be like why is he yeah doing this and it's like so, I mean, I, and I, I, like, I wouldn't diagnose an altar based off of that alone. What, what <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about is, like, if an altar were to have OCD in that sense, the, based on our previous discussion, the entire system would then have OCD, but it would present itself more frequently yes. in that specific altar. Oh, For our system, okay. yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. All, it, I love the overlap. It's interesting that it comes in, like, different ways and displays in different 
types of, I don't know, little activities or certain ways of organizing or cleaning things Mm. that it's different for everyone. And I think it all adds up. Like I know plenty of people that don't have OCD that organize their DVDs. For sure. Well, most of them don't have DVDs. Yeah. I'm a little unusual, but. um, (laughs) No, I do. But yeah, that organize them (laughs) alphabetically. Like that alone would not be, you have OCD because you organize them, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, I don't know. I've heard this a lot with like, obviously Tourette's because a few people in my family have Tourette's, but that it's almost like not your decision to do that. It's like your body's instinct mm-hmm. to do these things. So when I'm organizing, it's not because I'm like, like it'll bug me if it's not that way. And I don't know if that is kind of what separates from people who keep, th- I don't know though. Right. I'm, I'm yeah, I think not entirely sure. It's but. like, it's, it's the obsession part. The I obsession. Guess. Yeah. I guess that's it. Um, but what I think is, is like on the Tourette's note, um, and I'm really reluctant to say that I have Tourette's right. because especially since like the definition from what I understand is changing a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's the only reason that I'm even potentially right on that spectrum or like, right. You know, under that umbrella, however, that is referred to but um I will blurt things out without control Mm -hmm. ish like if I'm in a public setting I have control right I'm in a private setting I have no control yeah so something is telling me it's a safe environment for you to be able to do this yeah or I'm being like it's a defense mechanism or something like mm-hmm. that. Like this is not safe. You cannot just blurt some random Fair. thing out in front of this group. Of no, I think you're right. I and, feel like. And so I think from what I understand, originally it was viewed as if you have Tourette's, like you're, you're making uncontrollable motions or you're making uncontrollable verbal statements or whatever it is. Um, and it could be public or private. Like it doesn't For matter. Sure. It's fully uncontrollable. And yeah. then my understanding is that it's sort of switching a little bit where you might have a little bit of control, but mm-hmm. it's the lack of control in certain instances that would still put it under that Definitely, title. yeah. So the reason that I thought of that just now is title system has been staying at my place. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed any of this last night. I'm not used to people being in my private space. So I still have that feeling of this is a safe space for me to you know yes have these i haven't been things. in control during this state okay, so, so this, wrong, wrong person to ask in that but case it's all good still. um but i had like a bunch of instances last night where i just would randomly shout something out and then i'm like oh, crap there's someone sleeping in the room next to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right now it's just more like hearing your random scene just kind of through the place Love it's just it like yet. it's kind of like a radio that's constantly just Going in and out, but it's like a constant kind of just background noise where yeah. it's like, like rapping. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. rapping and you're singing. And it's I love like, it. I can well, deal with this. This is. I don't even like. I don't know if that is related at all to mental health in some way, but for whatever reason, I can't get stuff like that out of my head. So the rap songs that I'm singing aren't necessarily the ones that I was like, yes, I love this song, Yeah. so I'm going to learn it. It's 
well, this song got stuck in my head, so I guess we're dealing with it now. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, a lot of the songs that I rap, I'll be like, you know what? I don't really like the lyrics in this song. It's not a message I enjoy, but at the same time, I'm still going to be singing it all the time. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) So, we've talked about depression. Yes. We've talked about OCD. We've talked about a lot more than that, actually, what I wasn't expecting. But uh, the other thing that you struggle with is anxiety. And I deal with primarily social anxiety with a little bit of generalized anxiety, but you seem to deal with primarily generalized anxiety. I do, yeah. And I'm kind of just wondering, like, what what sort of specifically are, are the struggles associated with that? Um, a lot of them are physical, I feel, in myself. So um, I feel sick pretty much every morning that I wake up. So, like... My it feels like sort of butterflies in my stomach. Like I'm nervous, but I don't really know why. Um, and I'll feel that for probably like a good half hour, 45 minutes right after I wake up. And I, could I tell you why? Like, no, it just, it's there every single day. And then um, I also will notice um, it's usually my stomach or like, my in my chest that I feel it sort of throughout the day if something hits me but um a lot of the anxiety is I've realized is around how I think I'm like being perceived in the world if that makes sense so it's kind of like ever present um so in any situation how other people are viewing you. yeah for sure okay. and also I'll kind of have it everywhere like when I'm working when I'm in a social setting, if I'm by myself, like, even though there's no one to perceive me, like, I, I'm kind of always, I don't know. So I'm trying to kind of understand the separation between generalized anxiety and social anxiety, because I'm hearing that there's anxiety around how other people perceive you, yeah. which could overlap with social anxiety, because you're in a social setting, and you're anxious perhaps about how other people are going to be perceiving you. Yeah. It's not necessarily how it presents for me. I don't really care how someone else is going to view me Yeah, when we're in a public setting. It's just something about if there's more than three people, something about that just makes me on edge and yeah. I can't pinpoint it. I know this is going to sound kind of grim, but like I kind of always feel anxious. Like it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just gotten better at ways to tell it to bugger off pretty much. Cause like, and that's something a counselor taught me was to like name your anxiety. I don't know, like Chad. Fuck so off, then I can Chad. be like, fuck off, Chad. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if it starts coming in and I'm like, okay, I can tell this is like an anxiety based thought. Mm-hmm. I just tell it to go away. And like, it's hard. Sometimes it's not just like, okay, I'll pack my things and leave. But like yeah. it, it, with enough practice, it does start to be like, oh, okay, no, that's not really how the situation is. It's just like your anxiety convincing you that's how things will play out or you're just, yeah, you're just anxious that that's how things are going to go. But I've really had to learn that like, I can't predict how anything's going to go down. So I shouldn't really let the anxiety snowball or catastrophize as it does. I I really like that naming aspect because um, I, whenever I have an intrusive thought, I'll, I'll say fuck off. Yeah. But I don't name 
name what it yeah. is, who it is or what it is that I'm telling to fuck off. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll just randomly be like working with someone. Like this happened a lot during my like, construction <laughs> yeah. project, right? Where I'm working with someone and suddenly I'm like, fuck off. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I will. In the, that's so funny. In that situation, I shake my head. Like mm. almost like an etch a sketch. I do that as well. I'll have yeah. the thought and I'll be like, mm, nope, not thinking it. Yeah. And then just try and move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think back before I, I realized that I was sort of self-harming in a sense, I would like hit my head really hard Yeah, if I had a thought like that. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you're actually hurting yourself. That's not a healthy way of dealing with this right? situation. Yeah. Oh, I, I even question if like when I say fuck off, I'm saying it to myself. <laughs> yeah. I am probably also not the nicest thing to do. Yeah. That's true. You're right. But, <laughs> but it worked. Like, th- that's why I'm saying I, I like the naming idea because mm-hmm. it almost separates it. I'm not saying that to myself. I'm saying it to Chad. Exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Because, like, your body can react in ways that, like, we're not even understanding of. Like, your nervous system and stuff just reacts, like, when you blame things on yourself or say, you know, I'm stupid. I'm Mm -hmm. whatever. Like your body's reacting to that without you like really knowing that it is, you know what I mean? So naming it as something not you is probably helpful in that way. Yeah. I like that idea. That's Mm -hmm. a really good suggestion. Yeah. Thanks. So I guess this kind of ties in, in terms of how we manage our mental health, but I think the most vulnerable people when it comes to figuring out how to manage mental health are kids. Like they don't have the tools developed yet to figure out how to manage it. I know that the times that I struggled the most was when I was a kid or or a young adult and didn't have the tools necessary. Your brain hasn't finished developing all like there's so much happening. You're trying to figure life out. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. So do you think that our school systems are doing a good job of addressing mental health and whether they are or they aren't, are there, suggestions that you would have about things that need to change? I think they're trying, but I don't think it's really what works for everybody. Like I think, um, because the program I work in specifically is really trauma informed. So it's like really understanding that a lot of the stuff people go through as kids can change how your brain forms more than we previously have acknowledged, I think, right? So I feel like that's something they should introduce, not just at, like, the the students I work with have gone through the mainstream system, doesn't work for them, have sometimes tried several different schools and they don't work for them. So now they're in, like, a individual learning sort of focused um, on their mental health, their behavior, as well as like their academics. Right. So, but I don't think it should take that much trial and error before you get the mental health support that these kids do. Like, I feel like there should be, it should be more known that there's counselors available and, you know, like no judgment around kids having a counselor in school or being pulled out of class to spend time with a youth worker or anything like that, right? It's almost like it should be mandatory for students to do it so Absolutely. that you're not feeling othered if you're the one who's yeah. seeking it out. That's how I feel about it. And I think more classrooms and like districts and everything should be the trauma informed approach. Like understanding that 
Um, again, I know we've said this, that everyone's going through something. Mm-hmm. There are so many different factors that could affect how the mood that a kid comes to school in. I've seen it myself, several students that have turbulent lives outside or lives outside of school can't focus at all when at school. But I mean, imagine trying to focus when you've lived a trauma the night before and you come to school and you're expected to do schoolwork. Absolutely not. But in the mainstream system, there's not really an understanding that what that kid went through the night before and now coming into class yeah, they're not going to be able to focus on writing an essay today. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there needs to be more understanding that um, outside lives, I guess, and the things kids are experiencing or teenagers are experiencing outside of school can greatly impact how they learn. Agreed. It almost feels like the school system is designed to say that whatever happens outside of school doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it doesn't even just apply to mental health. Like, mm. Um, I remember watching shows as a, a kid where they would talk about how the teachers didn't understand, you know, taking a, a parent taking their child out of school to, you know, go to a, a baseball game that they're going to remember the rest, the rest exactly. of their lives or something like yeah. that. I'm, I'm not even into baseball, but that was mm-hmm. a Boy Meets World episode. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I took a lot of time off of school or not a lot, but some time off school to go on ski trips and, and mm-hmm. go racing and, and things like yeah. that. And it always just felt so difficult. Like no one wanted to get me caught up. Yeah. It was a ton of work because it wasn't treated as, oh, you're doing this thing that is really good for your mental health, really good for your physical health, all of that. Let's encourage that. And here's your, your homework, Yeah, you know, so that you can stay caught up while you're away. It's, we're going to make it extremely difficult for you to do those things. Yeah. By not making the homework easily accessible, by telling you that you shouldn't be taking time off of school, even when your parents have said it's okay. And I think that's also why we're still not at a point where it's acceptable to take a day off for mental health. If you're physically sick, you can take a day off. If you're mentally sick, suck it up and deal with it. I think that there are, not to just pinpoint what I'm currently going through, or like what a lot of kids are probably experiencing is what I'm going through, but... It's just some days it would have been a lot more helpful if school systems and the counselors or the teachers even way back then were like, you are not the same kid I taught yesterday. Mm. And to even yeah. just be Show that they minusculely know. aware of just, yeah. you are not behaving the exact same way that you were before. Yeah. Just who, like, just even being able to ask is, are you feeling like yourself? Are you feeling you? And that would have been a massive benefit to how I am now. Because if you remember, I failed and flunked out of grade 10 social studies and uh, science in grades 11 and 12. But my uh, librarian, my gatekeeper, came in the first year of college being the political, very left brain, organized thinker that okay. would have been able to, I mean, he wasn't existing as an altar back then. Right. But if one of the altars doesn't really understand just social studies or science, but the other does, and that can be discovered, you know, you can actually, I think it's in certain amounts, be like, 
could you have this altar or this this personality of yours take a look at this tonight? Right. Or just like politely, like not to pinpoint out an altar no. or like try to positively trigger an altar to the front. Right. And like, for example, Troy, just mine, is like, could you have him look at this when you can or right. when you... You know, when he's out next and just mark it with his name, mm-hmm. our psych is doing that. There's some paperwork that he, Troy has that we haven't even read yet that he's already been all the way through. Oh, wow. okay. So it's like, I understand that DID can be very hard to determine because, again, as I said earlier, a lot of us that actually have it don't even know that we yeah. we do. But it's just like, what if? You know, just that. Why do you think it is that teachers aren't able to do that? Like, is is it that they recognize that you're seemingly a a very different individual one day to the next and just not saying something? Or is it that there's, like, too many students in a class for them to even notice things like that? Like, what what do you think? It it could be, honestly, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. In, In fairness, because... I know what it's like to be in a crowd of people when I'm literally myself. Mm-hmm. And, but like when Iko was going through school, cause he was one of our first alters, mm-hmm. he doesn't know or understand English. So a, a teacher would be showing him something. He just go mute and decided it's not worth trying yeah. to communicate to this person. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to, yeah, you know, zone in on a fidget toy or yeah mm-hmm. for sure something like that that's a thing that's important to mention too like fidgeting right mm-hmm. I, the teacher that i work with I, she took part of her budget to buy a huge bunch of different fidget toys because it's obvious that there's some kids in the class that have to have time where they're fidgeting with something i even have to have time where i fidget with stuff right oh, like hundred yeah. percent stickers off of bottles and yeah i've been going for about 30 minutes yeah. now. <laughs> I, have, I have silly putty in my car that like i'll just play with if i'm you know feel i need to or like need to move my hands mm-hmm. but like i i think it's just like the being acknowledged or like an awareness that people need those things sometimes and i to like answer your question you asked where if it's like there's too many students and teachers just aren't like able to keep up sometimes I feel like it's um they don't feel they have the relationship with the student to have to have that student actually open up to them about it right Mm -hmm. because I think especially younger people like you're just figuring out who you can trust and how to trust people so I think unless you have a closer relationship with a, somebody in the school system, then you're less likely to open up to them, I think, mm-hmm. you know? I think that makes sense. Yeah, because, yeah. like, even the students I work with, they'll open up to me and my coworker, who are both youth workers. Mm-hmm. They'll open us up to us in the car when we're driving with them, when we go for coffee, when we're just in the classroom. But they will not open up in the same way or even interact in the same way with the teacher, it's entirely different. It's like so, an authoritative exactly versus like a more friendly. Person. Exactly, I think. I think. Yeah, I think that plays into it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like that makes your role so important in that case. For sure, like, I, yeah, definitely. I think it would be a lot harder for some of the students if they didn't have an outlet of someone to tell the like. 
here's what happened at work last night, or I had a fight with my parents last night, or, you know, something other, something else happened and it was really hard for me to process. Like, you can tell a lot of the time they almost need to debrief with you before they can even focus on schoolwork. So I can only imagine how many kids in the mainstream that's going on with them as well, right? Mm. Well, yeah, because you... I never thought of standardized education as working well for me, oh. but I managed to make it through <laughs> yeah. relatively well. I really don't, if I'm going to be a little controversial, I don't really think it works for most people. No, I agree. <laughs> I, agree. Like, I agree. I really don't. Yeah. I agree with Kelsey yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think Tests in whole... particular is something that, oh, like, tests are I, the worst. some people I guess it works for, but... I also don't don't think it promotes like a healthy way of learning even because you're just learning to do well on a test. Exactly. You're not learning to like absorb the information and actually have an interest in the information. Well, I went to school for architecture and building engineering. I barely remember a thing that happened while I was at school. My knowledge of construction comes from doing construction. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. For people who are struggling with their mental health maybe they don't even recognize that it's a mental health issue they're just struggling Mm -hmm. and they're looking for someone to reach out to or they're looking for help in some way what would you recommend as like a first step towards getting the help that they need I think if you're comfortable sharing with people in your life and you have a good connection with someone in your life a friend a family member talk to them about it Because, and I know even in myself, still at the point I'm at, there's a barrier that's like, oh, people don't want to hear my problems. They don't want to, you know, take the time to help me through it or hear about it or whatever. You don't want to burden them. Exactly. You don't want to burden them. Stop thinking that you're a burden, like period, because everyone has something and sometimes just letting it out. And hearing mm-hmm. it, having somebody else who's not in your head all the time, who's not you, to bounce, you know, insecurities off of or things you're struggling with can be so helpful. And I know that, like, with a lot of mental health, shying away from doing that is a, is a huge thing. Isolating yourself, convincing yourself you, don't, you can do it alone, you don't need the support. Like, I, I heavily suggest just reaching out to somebody and starting that conversation. Your friends aren't going to mind you reaching out, I think. Is, exactly. Is a good one. Like, yeah. If they're your friend, then they're there to They're there to support there you. you. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be a, a one-sided thing either. Yeah. Everyone has their struggles. Like, exactly. We talk a lot about mental health, Yeah. Uh, you and, and another friend of ours. Yeah. Um, and it it's a give and take. Like, yeah. one day you'll be venting to us. Yeah. And another day I'll be venting to you. Yeah. And it's, I think because of that, it's not a, a burden. It's actually a lifting of a burden. Yeah. Um, your, your burden is the mental health issue that you're struggling with. Definitely. And it helps to alleviate that by talking it through with yes. someone. Also, I think um, just like right off the bat, don't tell yourself something's wrong with you. Like that's the worst thing you could do. There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't ask for mental health issues. You didn't, you know, take, you didn't ask for a trauma that caused you to have this mental health, you know, issue for your whole life or something that you have to live with. I I think we have to get rid of that idea that there's something wrong with you at all. 
I'm still guilty of saying that to myself from time to time, but it's wrong. Like so many different things in life could happen. Something could happen to you when you're six months old, changes the way your brain forms and changes your behavior from what it could have been if you hadn't experienced that. Like, I just think there's no reason to put any extra shame or anything on ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's a really, this is a good time to mention too, that we've discussed the mental health issues that we all know about that are our own personal experiences. Yes. But for someone who is listening to this or watching this, who is struggling, they might not be struggling with the same thing. Yes. So there may be things that we have not talked about here. And that doesn't mean that that's not an issue. Yeah, It just means that it's not one that we personally deal with. Yes. So, like, and and when you're talking about that trauma that comes up, you know, I'm I'm thinking PTSD. We haven't even talked about PTSD, Exactly, yeah. But if you're struggling in any way, even if you haven't, you know, recognized something about your struggle in the things that we've been talking about, that doesn't mean you shouldn't reach out for help because Mm -hmm. struggling is not – an experience that you should just have to do in silence. It's something exactly. that you should be able to talk to other people about, yes. get help with, because it can get better. Yeah, it, it is also something where, like, we always went with the flow growing mm-hmm. up, right? Like, we always just kind of like, okay, this is just a part of the flow. It is okay to ask questions. And I honestly wish some of us did ask a lot sooner than what we did and i know it's showing but it's like this is a process we could have started easily even six years we're 31 yeah like we could have done this when we were 18 like even it's like even though no one might have the answers you might be able to kickstart them looking into those answers Mm -hmm. for sure right so it's like it's not necessarily weak to ask questions or to have a sudden change of maybe i'm not actually handling this the the best way that i can right so it's like that that's one thing i can just add to like the takeaway is just asking questions is how the human race learns. Exactly. <laughs> and also it's yeah. never too late to, to ask those questions. Like never, it, even if it seems like, Oh, I should have done this five years ago. I should have done this 10 years ago. Doing it now is going to be an improvement to right. your life. Right. So, and like, I don't relate to that necessarily on the, the, the mental health piece. I, I definitely could have figured that aspect out sooner. But what really resonates for me when you're talking about that is coming out as trans. I, you know, I often struggle with this idea that I should have come out when I was a kid and I should have asked those questions when I was a kid and I should have figured that all out back then and my life would have been a lot easier. But it doesn't help to think of what could have been. Right. I just have to go. Thankfully, I now know that about myself. I understand that and I'm on a better path. So I think it's, it's all about reframing it because I think when you focus on the could-haves, would-haves, should-haves, that negatively impacts your mental health too and it kind of ends up being a a potentially downward spiral or or something that could send you into a depression or or whatever it might be. Um, I would think that for me that's like a big takeaway is like 
positive self-talk or like challenging your own negative thoughts about yourself is like a huge part of, mm-hmm. um, I guess, shifting maybe your inner conversation about yourself. Like I used yeah. to be real mean to myself internally. Oh, me and mm-hmm. as soon as I start, and I know it sounds cheesy and I, it's probably going to feel weird when you start doing it, but like hyping yourself up about anything in your day. Right. Or, um, <clears throat> I like the look naming in the some mirror. things about yourself that you are positive yeah. or that you like, right? That kind of stuff. It it seems like how is that really going to change? But it does over time. Does, your yeah. own thoughts about yourself shift to more positive. I also found that catching myself whenever I would say negative things, like it used to be hundreds of times a day. Oh yeah, and I would have to pinpoint every single time, and it would get really annoying. Yeah, and I would say no myself off yeah you know, maybe i need to say no chad yeah chad. <laughs> no that's good like, though it's like good to cut yourself off it, <laughs> yeah. but like you know I, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying like you suck stop it yes it's like that thing is not healthy and you need to stop that thing so yeah. it would be a lot of countering it and going no you're awesome yeah like, hundreds of times a day no you're awesome and it got frustrating but at the same time by doing it continuously it reduced the amount of time that it would happen. And I would say it took about two years. Yeah. But after doing it every day for two years, I didn't have any of those thoughts anymore. And to this day, I I practiced that. So if I would say anything negative about myself in my head, it'll be, no, you're awesome. I like that. The thing that I didn't realize and that just came up a couple days ago is that I still am not there. Yeah. Because, and I don't think I'll ever be there. It's, it's a, it's a constant process. It is a constant process. But it's easier if you maintain it rather than letting it slide. And what, what made me realize that is my therapist said, you're awesome. And then pointed out that I became very uncomfortable when she said that. So it's not that I'm saying negative things about myself, but I'm not viewing myself positively. Right. So you're saying the positive things, but you're not fully like convinced of those positive things yeah I think that's what it is (laughs) I I haven't convinced myself that I am awesome Mm -hmm. I've only convinced myself to stop saying the negative I see what you mean which is great it's helpful but it shows also that there's still it takes time there's no like overnight I think thing to make you feel better it's all and I know that sucks to hear too but it's like I think of something to keep people hopeful is like yeah if you practice it if you keep doing it eventually you're gonna get to a place the negative thoughts stop and now you just have to work on again continue with working on believing those positive thoughts about yourself yeah while simultaneously recognizing that someone out there is listening to this going you know yeah I've heard it all before it gets easier I know I know I hate it's so cliche like in the things counselors will say to you can be so cliche sometimes and you're like oh i'm just I'm tired of hearing <laughs> the same stuff and like i don't get those results but i, I feel like i felt that exact same way mm-hmm. earlier like or near the end of last year when i started counseling was like why am i gonna journal about my own values why am i gonna talk to myself nicer like what is this really gonna do and I definitely see what it does. Like, oh, yeah. I still have a long way to go myself. But mm-hmm. in those past, like, six months that I've been doing counseling, it, I, I'm definitely in a way better mental space than I was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're all doing a lot 
better these days yeah. than we did when we first knew each other. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, long ago, definitely a lot better. Yeah. yeah, we all have a lot of work to we do. We all have our oh, same, same. Yeah. <laughs> definitely do. Yeah, none of us are some, perfect. <laughs> sometimes, just the. The, the negative funny jokes just that we can uh, kind of play out in our, our uh, in our own ways like in our own situations like I think one of us mentioned on the way down here is like wow we're stuck on the like on the highway there's the HOV lane there and one of the alters comes forward is like we're technically 10 people and I'm just like <laughs> I don't think a cop would believe just some guy randomly driving down the freaking Highway one. I love we'll that. believe that. Hey, there's actually a full car in here, it's right? Just, yeah, they're gonna have to reframe that as you know, three bodies in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like sometimes just hysterically laughing is honestly just like even thinking of some of the most cringy jokes is just sometimes yeah. the way to get through it. It's just. Totally. I agree. So, I can think of TikToks in particular that <laughs> are like, you know, say the videos like, you know, when you're like telling your friend a story about childhood and they're looking at you horrified and you're like, oh, that's like a traumatic thing. I didn't realize that, you know, but when it's like a normal thing in your life, sometimes you really don't realize. So you will joke about it and people will be like, can we, can we joke about that? It's like, so I can joke I about can. it. Oh, you can. <laughs> some, some DID support groups on, on the Facebook and Instagram. It's like, you have a nice personality. It's like, great. I have nine more for it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what would be your first step when someone comes forward to you expressing a mental health issue? Uh listening to them. I know that sounds really simple, but validating what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just also, um, a big thing I I like to do is thank the person for being open with me because it's sometimes, um, they don't want to talk to everybody about it. Some people are more comfortable sharing their experiences with everyone. Some people are really private with who they tell. So I try to validate, thank them for sharing it with me. And then really just like give them the space to talk. Honestly, Mm -hmm. if share what they want to share, let them know that I am listening. It's a judgment free zone. I'm not going to judge anything you do. You're safe. You know, things are confident, kept between us, that sort of thing. Just really, I think validation's the biggest because a lot of times people feel, um, am I really going through this? Am I not? Is this really an issue? Is it not? So just telling the person, um, I hear you. It's hard, but I'm here to listen. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Making them feel like they have a safe space to come to. For and sure. Exactly. What it is that they're struggling with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, why is mental health not being researched enough? I know that we're miles ahead from our parents' generation, as we've mentioned, with, you know, so much, so many resources accessible to us, counselors over Zoom, all that kind of stuff. But I still think that it's like super stigmatized. Uh-huh. People that don't experience mental illness or don't you know, say what they're living through is a mental illness, whatever. Well, there's still so much judgment 
the way people are treated in psych wards in hospitals still uh-huh. awful like it's just we have so much more to go to like understand that having a mental health or mental illness is not like a flaw that you deserve to be treated poorly about you know yeah well i also find that if you look at the history of researching mental health you'll find that there are instances where research has been done that exposes what whoever's doing the research you might consider to be a flaw yeah that needs to be corrected yes and that correction is sometimes far more damaging than the actual issue that was at play so I wonder if there's also an element of people who deal with mental health issues not actually wanting research to happen because of a fear that it's going to make things worse rather than better. Yeah, no, I could see that for sure. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. So I I'm, think that's I'm, what makes I'm it processing so challenging. That. Just, yeah. I, I'm good. Just. I had a thought, but it's gone now. Same. I... um. <laughs> It might come back to me at a later time. Yeah, well, feel free to chime in with thoughts, but I'll move on to my next question. What are the biggest struggles for you? Um, Work has been a big struggle in, like, my adult life, I would say. Um, Like showing up to work or being able to do the job Showing up to work, I would say, is, like, a big one for me. I just – there was so much anxiety, and I didn't know why – I was such a perfectionist in high school and would do as many things as possible. I've worked multiple jobs at the same time in the past. And then sort of all of a sudden I was hit with this, like, um, just this barricade that it was so hard to get past, to actually get myself up and moving and to work in a okay headspace to be around other people, working with them. Um, now that I'm doing the job I do, I don't really feel that as much. Uh, and that sort of leads me to think maybe I just wasn't doing the right work, mm-hmm. you know? Or the- I mean, I don't want to get into like your personal life situation mm-hmm. too much. Uh, I think there were True. some other factors at play there were. at that point in time as well. Definitely there were. Um, I think maybe the biggest struggle for me now is... Um, challenging my negative thoughts on like really down days so just reminding myself that that's I know it sounds weird when I say it but that's the anxiety talking and not me Mm -hmm. so I still struggle with that a lot yeah and I find that like challenging yourself uh for for me at least when I hear that it's like pushing myself out of my comfort zone for sure a little bit at a time whether it's sharing something personal on social media or whether it's um, becoming more comfortable in group settings by like yeah. forcing myself into group settings yeah. and just sitting in that discomfort until it stops being uncomfortable. Totally. Mm. Yeah. The, yeah. The pushing yourself past your own, like out of your comfort zone for sure is something I struggle with, but yeah. every time I do, I never have a bad experience. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to well, that's push looking, it more. Right. When you're talking about like showing up at work being the issue, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like it's the anxiety around getting there. And then once you're there, it's like a realization that, oh, this isn't as bad as like my mind made it out to be. Absolutely. It's kind of settling into it a bit. Yeah. Huh? And that's usually the case. Like it would all be sort of 
just anxiety around what's the day going to look like? What is going to be thrown at me? What do I have to deal with? It was all sort of like future things that I was always thinking about trying to control, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I would just overwhelm myself to the point I couldn't do anything. So now I challenge myself. Even like I said, when I wake up and I feel physically sick, sometimes I'm like, it'll pass. Just go about your day. It'll pass. I know it will. It does every day, (laughs) you know? I think it's important to also clarify like what challenging yourself can mean because Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be really simple. It can be I'm struggling to have a shower. Yes. I'm going to challenge myself to have a shower today. Yes. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to challenge myself to run a marathon. Oh, exactly. It, like, be a little thing. It yeah. Could, mm-hmm. For a while, for me, it was, I challenged myself because I I was in a depression for a long time. But for a while, and when I do feel depressed, it's like I challenged myself to find one thing that day that made me smile. Or made me feel like, damn, life is beautiful. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I challenge myself at least one thing. So then it's like, hey, the whole day kind of sucked, but I saw that dog at the park and that was great, right? Like, there's a beautiful moment in every day. I try and remember that. Yeah, for me, it's about productivity. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I want to be able to get to the end of the day and say I did something. I accomplished something. Mm -hmm. I ticked something off my to-do list. And some days when it feels, like, so overwhelming that... I'm struggling to do anything. Mm-hmm. It could just be I loaded the dishwasher. Right. And I'm calling today a success because yeah. I did that one thing. For sure. I have many a day like that. Hey, For I did the us, laundry. <laughs> yeah. For us, I think the biggest struggle, and it's going to sound horribly cliche, but just the breaks in memory and the breaks in time where it's just like I can plan – a whole adventure date by going down to Calgary, hanging out with our partner. And, you know, like we have a concert actually that we're planning on going to. Nice. The constant fear is lingering is who the heck is going to be in control of the body and will I even remember what's about to happen? Right. And it's like while we are, like our psyche is even mentioned, is like while there is still amnesic barriers between us somehow the the messages are getting through and the memories are still being transcribed to the others and processed to the others but it's like i want to be the one to you know go through that experience with her Mm -hmm. but it's like the big thing about the disorder the dissociative identity disorder is it's literally a toss-up. Every single hour of the day is a toss-up of the chances that have happened or that could potentially happen. And he's like, I don't remember getting up in the morning. Did I eat last night? Did I did run up through the mountains and go for a midnight swim because of Ico in the like, frozen river? And it's just like, you know, it's that constant variable of just like, what is actually happening? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, without naming your alters, one of your alters came out while we were driving here who hadn't been out in months. And, Our old host. Right. And so we're driving along and suddenly it's, where am I? Like, I'm on a road in Vancouver, but the last thing that that alter would have remembered was being in Prince George at work, from yeah. what I understand. Wow. Months wow. ago. So you have to kind of keep in mind 
it's probably about six or seven months since this altar's been on the front. And just once he leaves the front, it's just back to normal conversation between you and I. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, like people used to joke a lot about FOMO, fear of missing out. And it's kind of like you've got 11 altars. It's like FOMO times 11. Yeah. Yeah. And you think that in... In a couple of words to my psychiatrist, I'm a pretty smooth system. So it's like to even have twice that many altars and be a rough system is oh, yeah. I, like not something that we can honestly picture. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, think these conversations are so important, though, because they, well, like, they need to happen. Exactly. There exactly. is no even hinting that maybe. Yeah. No, these are conversations that need to become more frequent well i think that's the thing is that we've only really scratched the surface of this topic and we're doing a different topic with every podcast and like i mentioned at the beginning it's going to be related to a social justice coloring book which is another project that i'm working on but I don't think this can be the last conversation around mental health. Like, it needs sure. to be an ongoing conversation. We, we should do this it's, in like in year's time. And oh, just like, like, yeah, the I'll love that. Just, I think it's oh also my. like a very intersectional thing. So I think as we go through the topics from a social justice coloring book, there's going to be aspects of mental health that come into play. And I think you'll also see that we've probably touched on some issues related to some of other our other podcasts as well. So sure. um, just kind of wrapping this all up, I want to thank Pedal System and Kelsey Hardcastle for joining me. Uh, it's been a really eye-opening conversation for me. I hope it has been for you as the audience as well. And tune in again. I believe we're putting these out every two weeks. So tune in again in two weeks uh, for the next in our series of social justice themed podcasts. I hope you enjoyed listening. I'm Nicholas Sperling, signing out on behalf of the Flag Shop. Have a nice day. You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by the Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book.